Welcome, welcome. Shalom, shalom, world changers. Yeah, we're back for another night and we're going to be reading from Numbers chapter 20, verses 20, uh, actually 20 through 26. I'm also going to get into a few comments that uh, a few people have posted on my YouTube video. So I want to get there as well. So uh, in the meantime, let's see what we have there in the chat. 1 John 2.26 says, Shalom. Palamento says, Shalom, everyone. The Great Deception says, Shalom, everyone. Nice. I think you sounds like you like some music. That's live music, by the way. That's not pre-recorded. That's live music. Jeff says, Shalom. Byron says, Shalom. And... Okay, we got another prayer request here. Um, yeah, it, before we get to that, I just wanted to, uh, yeah, just just to kind of go over the night here. I'm going to get into a couple comments, uh, and I did send a couple people uh, notifications earlier that I will be addressing those comments. So I will get those comments addressed um, in in just a few minutes here. But let me just uh, let me just go through a little bit more comments. All right, let's just say the live chat. Uh, Psalm 94 says, I was, Shalom, I was thinking, what if we got together and called for a fast for those who are able and willing to do so? I think it is one of the best things we could do for Canada right now, a thought. Yeah, like, like I said, there's a lot of people that can't fast, but uh, it certainly wouldn't hurt to, uh, to fast and pray uh, for Canada, for sure. You know, really what should be done is that... Can <laughs> When I think about calling people to fast right now, especially in the state that Canada is in right now, um, I think about Nineveh. Uh, it, so how did Nineveh find uh, favor with God? Right? Um, it started at the top, the politicians. They're the ones that called the fast, right? We have the king of Nineveh who called the fast and called everybody else to fast. Not only them, but also their animals to fast as well. So that's really what Canada, Canada needs to do. You know, first of all, we need the politicians to, to, uh, to fast and humble themselves and pray. Uh, I, I think that, uh, and the state of the politicians in Canada there right now is is just very very uh it's very very bad state very bad state um so so ignorant and arrogant and I'm not talking about all the politicians but a lot of them are ignorant arrogant full of pride and so yeah um definitely wouldn't be uh it wouldn't hurt uh, but everyone should be praying for Canada as well. And also for, um, you know, for other parts of the world. Um, but Canada seems to be leading the world in, in, uh, in, in this movement that's happening in Canada. Definitely. Okay. So, um, yeah, if you guys that are listening right now, if you have not prayed, um, for Canada, I think you should do that. We have uh, many times on here, and uh, we'll do that right now before I get into the comments. So I'll get I'll get into the uh, excuse me. I'll get into responding to some of these comments that were posted on my YouTube videos in just a minute. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you, Father, for your blessings. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you, Father, 
for bringing us to this time in this day and this hour. Father, we ask you, Father, that you would have mercy upon us. Father, you are great. You are glorious. You are the great and awesome God. Holy is your name. Father, have mercy, Father, and uh, hear the prayers of those who are praying for Canada right now, uh, praying that freedom would prevail, praying that the politicians, the lawmakers, and the law enforcers of Canada will humble themselves as need be, fall on their faces, turn from their sins, turn to the living God, and thus the land will be healed. As it says in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the Holy Scriptures declare, If my people, this is God speaking, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, turn from their wicked ways, not excuse it, not promote it, not justify it, but turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. So, Father, we ask you that you would clean house. You would clean house with everyone that's, in, that's, that's involved, our own personal lives, our own hearts, minds, all sin be cleaned out, all pride be cleaned out as we know, Father, that you said that you oppose the proud. And in fact, it says in the original manuscripts that you set yourself up in battle array against the proud. And that's the picture that's, that's, that's painted for us. So, Father, we ask you that you would bring the pride down, bring the arrogance down. And we ask you in the name of Yeshua, bring righteousness to the land, righteousness, holiness, freedom for people to obey and serve God as the Holy Scriptures declare, as the law of God declares. And we pray in the name of Yeshua of Nazareth. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Question for Move uh, on YouTube says, Shalom, Shalom. Good to see you. Welcome, guys. Welcome, everyone. As always, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you, again, if you have any friends, or family members you think might get something from these live streams, make sure you share this right now and uh, and invite them on board. Uh, we are, I'm going to be taking your que your questions and your comments live. Yeah, the Great Deception says, Amen, Amen. All right, okay. So let's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to speak to a couple of these comments. Now, I know that some of these comments, these are things that I've, I have addressed many times over. Um, but I will address it again, seeing that, uh, this is so new. Those of you who know me, it's almost like it's not, there's almost like 20 maybe points of, of, uh, antinomian lawless doctrine that 
modern corrupt that the modern corrupt doctrine, you know, the, the cliches, the Christian cliches, not biblical, not in line with the with God at all. They think it is. Oh, they think it is. But there's about, I don't know, maybe there's more than 20, just guessing. Like 20 of, you know, it's always the same things over and over and over again. But let's let's deal with this because I know some of you um, will actually encounter people that bring up these kind of so-called um, objections. So Dave Hammond on YouTube one day ago said, um, this is in, in response to an old video of mine called Solved. How did Jesus fulfill the law? Basically, what I said in that video, to make a long story short, and actually, I wanted to do another, like a short video on this as well, um, is that when Jesus said that he come to fulfill the law, he didn't mean to put it away graciously. He didn't mean that it's, that it's not in effect anymore. The word fulfill in the mind of a Jew means to obey it. Don't forget that Jesus was a Jew. And so many people don't clue in, right? They don't have, they don't clue in. No capiche. They, they read the, the Bible from a 21st century mindset and 21st century Western culture. And it's, it's the opposite. Not 21st century West, Western culture, but first century Eastern culture. Makes a total, makes all the difference. Go ask any Orthodox Jewish rabbi today, do you fulfill the law? Do you fulfill the law of God? They're going to say, yeah, of course we do. That's what every Jew should do. You look it up in Thayer's Greek lexicon, Christianity's number one most trusted source for Greek definitions of New Testament words. You look it up, the word fulfilled there is the Greek plerao, which means according to section 2c3 and i quote i know this by heart i know i memorized it so many times and i quote to cause god's will as made known in the law to be obeyed as it should be that's what jesus meant by fulfill he said i come i don't come to abolish the law but i've come to play rao the law i've come to cause god's will as made known in the law, to be obeyed as it should be. So it's very, very simple. Very, very simple. But we have people who still don't get it. Um, but Mr. Hammond here brought a, um, you know, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, it seems to me, that this particular gentleman is confusing the covenant with a law. A covenant is not a law, and the law is not the covenant. The new covenant doesn't mean new law. New covenant does not mean new law. Old covenant does not mean no old law. The word covenant is, is a word that simply means agreement. Today, the best way to understand what the word covenant means, today, the most common covenant that people uh, are familiar with is a marriage, a marriage covenant. So when you get married, 
does that mean all the law that that was in effect before your marriage is all done away with? Of course not. Now, if that marriage ends and you marry somebody else, does that mean that the whole law of the land is completely thrown away and now you've got a new law? Of course not. You have different covenants in different periods of time under the same law. So, and by the way, I mean, in the, in the, uh, in the Tanakh, in the so-called Old Testament, by the way, it's, it's, it's really a mis, <laughs> it's really doing the church in, injustice to call it the Old Testament, by the way, because Testament synonymous with the word covenant, um, it's very, very, uh, misleading to, to think that everywhere, everything, every book from Genesis to Malachi is one covenant or one testament, which is what a lot of Christians call the Old Testament. Very misleading because there are many testaments in that, in that scope of books. We have the, the testament or the covenant of Adam, testament or the, or the covenant of Abel, of Job. We got another covenant of Noah, another covenant of Abraham. We got another covenant of Isaac. We got another covenant of Jacob. We have another covenant of David, lots of covenant. There are many covenants. And we read that in actually in uh, Numbers chapter, no, excuse me, not Numbers, Romans chapter 9, when even Paul himself admits that there were covenants, plural, okay? Covenants. This is before the New Testament was even written, okay? I mean, at, at least put together and called the New Testament. It wasn't even put together and, and canonized at, at that point in time. Paul is speaking about the covenants that are found in the Tanakh, in the scope of books from Genesis to Malachi. Okay. So the new covenant is just a new, it's uh, um, put it this way. The old covenant in, in, um, in context with Hebrews chapter 8 and uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, because you see Hebrews chapter 8 is basically just building off or expounding upon Jeremiah 31, where Jeremiah prophesies saying that the Lord will put his law in his, uh, his law into our hearts. And so if you just go over here, let's go over to there to uh, numbers. No, excuse me. I keep on saying numbers. Jeremiah. Chapter 31. Let's just check this out here quickly. Um, and this is something that everyone should know. All, every Christian should definitely be very, very familiar with this. So this is, let me just share my screen for you guys. Okay. So Jeremiah chapter 31, starting at verse 27. This is the, the, the word of the Lord, okay? God is speaking. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck them up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days, they shall say no more, the father has eaten sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the children are not going to bear the brunt of the father's misdeeds. Uh, verse 30, but everyone shall die 
for his own iniquity. Okay. In other words, you'll, you'll be responsible for what you do. The, the, the children will not be responsible for the fathers and the fathers will not be responsible for the children. Every man that eats the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. So that's just a figure of speech. Basically, everybody's responsible for their own deeds. Verse 31, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Okay, So every Christian I know, you know, can, will admit this is talking about the New Testament. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law. In the original Hebrew, this is talking about Torah. It's, God says literally, I will put my Torah in their inward parts and basically on their hearts and their minds. And I will write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall no more teach every, uh, they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and, re- and will remember their sin no more. Okay. So, um, what is the new covenant? The new covenant is God's law written on our hearts, our minds, by the Spirit of God. What's the old covenant? Now, we know even Paul talks about the difference between the old covenant and new covenant as well. The old covenant being God's law written on stone, written on the tablets or at least written on parchment. So it's outside, it's external from from yourself, right? So the Spirit of God wrote the Torah, the law, on external medium. That's Old Covenant. New Covenant, New Testament, is when the Spirit of God writes that same Torah. It's the same Torah. It says very clearly, it's forever, it's eternal, it's timeless, no beginning, no end. It says very clearly throughout the Scriptures. That's, That's the case. So that same Torah is written on your heart. I I liken it to, let's say, old, really old-fashioned, okay, like um, vinyl records, right? You got a vinyl record of, of a certain artist, a musician, band, or whatever the case is. You've got an old vinyl record with an old phonograph, you know, and you're playing it. Well, you, you know, you've got a certain album. Let's just call it Album X, okay? Let's just call it Album X. Today, you can get that same album in digital format. You can download it off the internet and it will be all digitally remastered. It will just, it will sound, it's it's the same song. It's the same lyrics. It's the same words, the same music, a little better quality, but same, it's the same. And this is, that's exactly the way it is between the old covenant and new covenant. The old covenant is Torah written on external medium, like the vinyl records. Okay, the new covenant is the same song, so to speak. It's the same music, so to speak. it's the same words written on your hearts. New covenant, like the new me, it's like it's like the digital format kind of thing. It's download from heaven. Okay, same same stuff, not different. That's that's the difference between the two. Um, 
Let me just get to the other comment here that I want to address. There's one other comment that I somebody actually left this on another one of my videos. Okay. So, um, Mr. Hodges says, and why was the faith of Abraham count, accounted for righteousness? It was before the law. Um, excuse me, Mr. Hodges. I, I suppose you did not read uh, the um, the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis clearly says that Abraham uh, knew the law of God, the Torah of God. We'll get to that in a minute. He goes on to say, the point was, excuse, excuse me, the law was to point them to their Messiah. Well, <laughs> where does it say that? 1,450 years of God's word. 1,450 years. Two-thirds of the entire Holy Bible is the Tanakh, right? From Genesis to Malachi. Lots. How many words, how many sentences, how many verses in there? But not one verse says that, Mr. Hodges. I know that modern corrupt Christian preachers tell you that, but you believe the modern corrupt Christian narrative and not God's narrative, or else you wouldn't say that. That's not what it says. It's very clear many, many times throughout the scriptures. The purpose of the law is to bless you. I, I actually posted a video about that not too long ago, just a few days ago on YouTube and many other platforms as well, TikTok and many other platforms. And I went through scriptures, boom, 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 boom. God says very, very, very clear. This is why I gave you the commandments so that it may be well with you. Just like any father gives instructions, guidelines, boundaries to his children. Why? Because any good, half-decent, loving father doesn't want to see his children suffer from stupid mistakes. Doesn't want to see his children suffer from, you know, doing foolish things. Engaging in things that are harmful to them or to others. So in the very same way, the Father in heaven's the same way. He gave us the Torah for our benefit. Um, and then he goes on to say here, righteousness was not in keeping the law. <laughs> Again, uh, Mr. Hodges, where do you get that from? It's certainly not from the Bible. Certainly not from the Bible, because it says the opposite in the Bible. I'll show you. It says the opposite. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, but I I choose to believe what God says and not what the modern corrupt Christian preachers and, and modern corrupt evangelical narrative says, okay? I choose to believe what God says. And this is what God says. I'll show you here in just a minute for those of you who want a... Um, a reference, this is De Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25. Then it will be righteousness for us. So what is righteousness for us? What is righteousness for us? Okay, well, hold on a second. Let me just pull this. I'll pull this up. It says, right, 
Because Mr. Hodges says righteousness was not in keeping the law. Well, it says the opposite. I'll show you right here. Right here. Then, this is God speaking. Or actually, no, sorry. This, is, this would be Moses speaking. Then it will be righteousness for us. If we, caref- if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So, what does that mean? That means that righteousness comes by being careful to observe the commandments. Observing the commandments will be righteousness. It's very, very, very simple, folks. Very simple. The word righteousness means the state of being right. And what defines what is right? The the law of God. So if you observe the law of God, if you do what is right according to the law, according to God, then you you will be declared right. And therefore, you will be in the state of righteousness. It's so, so simple. It's like you can't see the trees for the forest. Or you can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, so, it's, so it's very, very simple. You want to know what's right? Look at what God commands. God tells you what is right and what is wrong. You want to do what is right? Do what the commands tell you to do. That makes you righteous. It's just so simple. It's like if you want to be in the light, step in the light. It's, just, it's so simple. Uh, how can you miss it? Uh, once again here, let's just pull up uh, Mr. Hodges. Mr. Hodges comment. No one, he goes on here to say, no one can keep God's law to perfection. Again, Mr. Hodges, I know what you have, you have, you've bought into it. I know what you've bought into. Hook, line, and sinker. You've bought into the modern corrupt Christian narrative that tells you that no one can obey God's law to perfection. Therefore, only Jesus obeyed God's law to to perfection. That's why you need to believe in Jesus and you'll be clothed with with the righteousness of Christ. I know it. I know it very, very, very well. However, I have also come to know that that is 100%, 100% false. False. Why? Many times you say that nobody can keep God's law. Have you ever read, like, like seriously, like, if you read from Genesis all the way to Malachi, especially where so-called the age of the law, you will read over and over and over and over again how people kept the law. Noah was declared righteous. The law of God was known by Abel. He was declared righteous, the righteous blood of Abel. Why? Because he obeyed the Torah. He knew exactly what to sacrifice. He knew exactly what to bring. He knew exactly how to worship God. And he did that. He brought the firstborn of the lambs. What made him think that? How did he come up? Did he pull it out of a hat? Did he did he uh, pull, a, pull a draw and just, wow, out of a billion different things he could do? Sacrifice. And out of a billion different things he can sacrifice? A lamb. And out of many different Choices of lamps, it just happened to be the firstborn. What do you think? How did he know that? He knew that because he knew the Torah, because the Torah is eternal, as God said, scores of times. There's no beginning to it. There's no ending to it, because the Torah is a reflection of who God is. The the instructions of God are a reflection of who God is. And so it's so, so important for believers to understand that, to to 
get out of the corruption. Get out of the false doctrine. Step back, reassess, and you will see that much, if not much of what you've heard, much of what you were told by modern Christian doctrine is not true. No one can keep God's law. It's like no one can walk in all the commandments of God. No one can walk in all the commandments of God. There's so much. Okay, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to be taking a whole lot of time on here. We know from Genesis all the way to Malachi. The book of Psalms talk about it a lot. When David says he obeys the law, he loves the law. It's the most precious thing that he's ever. It's more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. Don't buy into this thing that is bondage, that is sin, that is bitter and it's the opposite to what god actually says okay and don't buy into the whole the whole narrative that um nobody can walk in all the commandments of god oh nobody can walk in all the commandments of god um okay just let me just give you one little i'm not going to load your plate up you know mr hodges because um you know i don't want to force force <laughs> I don't want to be forcing, I don't want to be giving you too much than you can handle, okay? So, but let me just, let me just say this. Get a Bible. Get your Bible right now, Mr. Hodges. Open up to Luke chapter 1. Go to verse 5. We are going to read verses 5 and 6. Okay? Go do it. Bring, get your Bible. Get your Bible right now. In the meantime, I'm going to post it up on the screen. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, we know that these are the parents of John the Baptist, by the way. Verse 6. And they were both righteous. Oh, oh hold on a second. What? What did you say? Luke, uh, excuse me, Luke. I don't, haven't you read what Paul said? There is none righteous, no, not one. Um, Luke, come on. No, it says, and they were both righteous. It doesn't say, well, through hard struggles. Oh my, Zechariah. Oh, it was harder than climbing Mount Everest, but he finally attained it. He was righteous. He, he attained that status of being righteous. Oh, it was so hard. Elizabeth couldn't do it, but Zechariah just barely did it by the skin of his teeth. That's not what it says. It says they were both righteous as if it was it's, it's an easy thing to do. And in fact, yes, it is an easy thing to do. According to the law of God itself, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, these commandments are not too difficult for you. God's not a, he's not a ruthless tyrant to bark out commands to people, his beloved people whom he knows can't obey them. No, the commandments are easy, easy. They were both righteous. I'm continuing here. Luke chapter one, verse six. They were both righteous before God. What does it say here? What does it say? Uh, but they couldn't obey all the commandments because it's impossible to, because Jesus is the only one that can do it. And they just happened to live before Jesus was born. So sorry about their luck. But sorry about their luck. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, what what version am I reading? I must be reading the EEV, the ever-errant version. That's what I must be. I, I'll have to go back to the real Bible. It says that they walked. 
walked in all, all, A-L-L, all the commandments, not just the commandments, and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless, blameless. What does that mean? Faultless. It means they did not stumble in one. That's what it means. It means you cannot, nobody could point to Zechariah and Elizabeth and say, uh, I, I can blame you for this. Oh, look at you. You missed that one. Oh, look at you violated that commandment. They're blameless. Nobody can blame them. So, uh, Mr. Hodges, sorry to see that you, hey, hey uh, I highly recommend you reassess Mr. Hodges. The last thing he says is only, only faith in his son brings redemption. What does faith in the son mean? What does it mean? It's not just head knowledge. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just a mental ascension. It's not just, oh yeah, I know that Jesus was born. He lived a good life. He died on the cross. He rose again. He, he, he ascended. The devil knows that. You believe that? The devil believes that too. As James chapter 2 says, you believe? Good. Even the, even the evil spirits believe and tremble. What make so? What difference? What difference does that make? Just because you know the truth doesn't necessarily mean that you are in the truth, that you are following through with the truth. What does it mean to have faith in the Son? The Son was called a rabbi. The Son lived approximately two thousand years ago. The son was an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. To have faith in a rabbi doesn't mean just some kind of mental ascension, doesn't mean that he that you just know that he died on the cross. You just have some kind of mental ascension that, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins and he rose from the dead. That's not what it means. Go ask any Jewish rabbi, what does it mean to have faith in a rabbi? It means to obey what he says, to believe, to go by his teachings. That's what it means. And to follow his example. You go by his teachings, you follow his example. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to believe in the Son? What does it mean to have faith in the Son? It means that you go by his teachings, you follow his example. What are his teachings? His teachings are Torah. 100%. People came and asked him, how do we get saved? How do we get eternal life? What did he say? Obey the commandments. That's what he said. He had all the, he had all the opportunity to say, oh, great, good thing you asked. All you got to do is just believe in me that I died for your sins and rose from the dead. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's all. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to obey the commandments. He did not say that. He turned to one person and said, in order to have eternal life, you must obey the commandments. Turn to another person, in order to have eternal life, you must obey the commandments. To another person, he says, in order to have eternal life, you must believe in me. You can't believe in him if you don't believe in what he says. You can't believe in him if you don't believe in what he taught. What did he teach? Obey the commandments and you have eternal life. Hello? That's what he taught. So to believe in Jesus means that you believe that you have eternal life by obeying the commandments as much as applies to you, of course, in, in context. 
That's what it means to have faith in Christ, to follow his example. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Torah. He always did, always will. If he didn't, he'd be a sinner, not a savior. So the more Christ-like you become, the more Torah observant you are, and vice versa. The more Torah observant you are, the more Christ-like you become. And that's why it says that Christ is the goal of the law. Christ is the end of the law. That word end also can also mean the goal. Basically, the law, if you follow the law, you will be more like Christ. And if you follow the law 100%, that, that's the goal. You're like Christ. You're Christ-like right there. So um, so there, those are the two comments that I wanted to uh, address. I'm going to quickly go through some of your comments here and uh, and then we'll get into reading. We'll get into reading. Um, let's see here just a second. We'll get into reading numbers chapter 20 through 26. Okay. Byron says, I don't know how to convince the lukewarm people in my life to get serious with God. I just keep praying for them. Yeah, sometimes that's all you can do. Sometimes that's all you can do. And uh, sometimes I have noticed, now I'm not, I don't want to, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. Sometimes people are just never going to get it. They're just never going to get it. Um, I've <laughs> I've had to come to that conclusion. Some people just, they're just never, they are never going to get it. They're never going to get there. Other people will. Other people will, and they'll surprise you. So I don't want to be like, overly negative, but I think that's important to understand. Christina says, I've started to be really overwhelmed by hearing the same arguments from the lawless. It feels like they're all reading a script where they, where they, the exact same stuff word for word. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the way it is. hundred percent. That's why I call it, I call it cliche Christianity or cliche salvation. It's like they have a pocket full of cliches and that's all they know. And their entire doctrine is based off of these cliches. And it's like the same old little, little flags that they wave all the time. There's always, there's a couple dozen of them. And once you, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of easy to, to, to overcome. I mean, to know what they're going to say because they say all the same stuff all the time. And it's kind of easy to know what to say in reply too, because again, they say the same, the same stuff all the time. It's, it's actually overly simple. They're overly simple people. Yeah. Jeff says, and Satan has deceived you. If you believe fulfilled is to finish. Yeah. I mean, Yeshua said very clearly, do not think, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. 
and I've come to destroy it or abolish it or finish it. I've come, I've not come to abolish, but to to play ra'o, to cause God's will, as made known in the law, to be obeyed as it should be. Yeah, Christina makes a good point. If he if he finished the law, it's really weird that he immediately said anger is murder too, lust, adultery, and uh, no divorce, no oaths. Uh, yeah, I mean the whole thing is that, and in and, and somebody might argue, well, he though that was still in the quote unquote age of the law. I can just hear somebody argue that, and if that's the case, it'd be like, well, why did he? If 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 he knew that the law was coming to an end in a matter of days, why did he even bother? preaching all this stuff like hard and heavy the way he did why why didn't he st- why didn't he say hey guys um hey we only got like a month couple months to go of the age of the law so hey yeah, relax a little bit you know let me teach you something else okay you know uh, i'm gonna purchase i'm gonna i'm gonna take the debt for you and that's not what he said Vinny says shalom everyone shalom Vinny. welcome brother Um, question for move says, I heard that Jesus was on, on Jesus only was for the Hebrew Israelites. What are your thoughts apparent? Uh, and apparently that includes the new Testament also, I don't believe, but I want to hear what your reaction is. I've heard that as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a lot to say about that because yeah, Yeshua said, I don't come for, I come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, okay? Even Paul makes it very clear. Now, it's not just Paul. We we read about it in the Tanakh as well. Any, any Gentile that wants to be included is grafted in to the house of Israel. Technically speaking, anybody before Abraham was not a Jew or an Israelite. Yet, they followed the Torah, they knew the Torah. You know, again, Adam, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Job, and I'm sure there's a few others to them, I'm just not coming to my mind, but not only, not only that, but in the days of Moses, we have people who were joining him and, and the people of Israel, they were grafted in. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, the mixed multitude came up out of Egypt with the children of Israel. And they all, as we read there not too long ago, Numbers chapter 15, many times it says one law for both you and the stranger or the, the gear, the, uh, the Gentile, one law. So the law was, you know, when they all, ca- when they all come to Mount Sinai, which included the children of Israel plus the mixed multitude. We don't know how many of the mixed multitude there were. It could have been hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions. I don't know. There was a, it, there there was enough for them to be mentioned many many times as the mixed multitude, the strangers, the sojourners. Um, you know, the different different uh, terms like that. So when they when they all come up out of Egypt. We have the children of Israel and the mixed multitude. The mixed multitude meaning people who were probably Egyptians and from other nations as well, other nationalities, 
that were in Egypt at the time. Because remember, e- Egypt was this, was the um, is the superpower of the world back in those days. It's almost like America, you know, is lots of people that would come to America visiting and staying there for a while, different ethnicities, different from different nationalities, so on and so forth. That's the way it was in Egypt. When they saw what was going on, what God did through Moses and the plagues uh, the, upon Egypt, you know, a lot of these people uh, that were in Egypt at the time said, hey, <laughs> uh, Moses, I'm with you. <laughs> Count me in, Moses. Uh, I'm Your God is my God, okay? Where you go, I want to go. I'm, I'm with you guys. And they came up out of Egypt with the children of Israel. They received the Torah with the children of Israel. God did not say at Mount Sinai, okay, this is only for the Israelites, only for the native Israelites, all the mixed multitude, go home. Or go somewhere else. The Torah is not for you. It's not what he said. They all received the Torah altogether. Then we have Ruth. Uh, Later on in history, we have Ruth, who was a Moabite, not of the children of Israel. She was a Moabite, a Gentile. She was grafted in to the Jewish people. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. Which, of course, would include your Torah is my Torah as well. In the days of Yeshua, okay, even, um, you know, there was that Syrophoenician woman that came to him for a miracle. Now, initially, he he refused her. I, I'm not going to heal the Gentiles. I'm not going to heal the dogs. I'll just, it's just, this is only for the children's. For the children of Israel, you know, I'm not going to give the children's bread, i.e. The, the miracles to the dogs. But then that Gentile pressed in a little bit more. But Lord, uh, even the dogs eat the crumbs off the master's table. And you know, she was like, for that, you're worthy of getting it. So there's a Gentile that was grafted in to the promises to the, to the, to the uh, children of Israel. Uh, There's many, many uh, instances of that. So God is not a God of double standards. One law for the stranger, the gayer, which means Gentile, and the, the, um, the Israelite. One law. Okay. So it's not like Jesus is like only for the Jews. And then who's for the Gentiles, by the way? Who's for the Gentiles? I know everybody's like, well, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. But really, he's one of the less, the least apostles for the Gentiles. Because Yeshua, he taught his 12 disciples. He trained them. That's what it was all about. It was a, it was a school. It was a school of Yeshua. He was the rabbi. He was the teacher. The disciple. Disciple is just a fancy word for student. These people were living at the, the, the school of Yeshua. And Yeshua was the teacher. He was the professor. He was telling everyone. He was showing it. He was training them. Hands-on training. And at the end of the training, he said, okay, guys, I'm going to go away. In the meantime, you guys go and preach the gospel, the same gospel. Yeah, I've just trained you for years. I've trained you. You're fully trained now. Go and Take the training that you that I, you receive from me, the gospel that you receive from me, and preach it to the Gentiles. Jesus didn't say, "Go take another gospel, go preach something else." No, he trained the people, 
He trained his disciples, and then he sent them off to the Gentiles. So, I mean, it's, it's, it should be clear. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make any sense to say Jesus was only for the Israelites. Well, don't, you know, we don't go by what Jesus said in the, in the Gospels. We go by what Paul said, because Jesus is for the Jews and Paul is for the Gentiles. Um, no, excuse me. Jesus, yeah, he came to Israel. He was a Jew. He, he chose all of his 12 disciples. They were all Jews. And he trained them. And everything he said, all of his training, all of his teaching, at the end, he said, go and take this to the Gentiles now. And they did. Long before Paul ever came onto the scene, they took the words of Jesus to the Gentiles. So that's, uh, that is what my reaction is. Thank you for your question. Very good question. <laughs> this is good. This is good because it's it, this is true. Right? I mean, people don't think about it. Uh, 1 John 2 26. If fulfilled means to finish, it would it would have it um excuse me. If fulfilled means to finish it, that would have meant that Yeshua was saying, I have come to end the law. Excuse me, I have not come to end the law, but to finish it. <laughs> Uh, okay, you know, it, it's true, though. It's true. It's senseless. It's true. Uh, yeah, so 1 John 2.26 says, it's senseless. You always need to take words back to their original language meaning. Yes, absolutely. In their original language meaning and, and also their original, yeah, and that would include, of course, the original uh, culture as well, to see what it meant in those, in those days. Actually, it still means to this very day amongst the Jewish rabbis. It still means to obey doesn't mean to finish it. One John two twenty six. You can summarize the gospel. Seven words: repent, born again, baptism, obey the commandments. The Tower of Time says, "Amen, brother Christopher." Welcome to Tower Time. Tower Time says, yes, Yeshua also said, I have come not for the righteous, but for the sinners. Hence, there were the there were and are righteous, and he would have said, I have come for yeah, and he or he excuse me. I, let me read that again. I'm sorry. Uh, he, so the Tower of Time says, yes, Yeshua also said, I have come not for the righteous, but for the sinners. Hence, there were and are righteous. Or he would have said, I've come for everyone. That's that's it right there. Right there. Hit the nail right on the head, brother. That's great. He had all the opportunity to say, I'm here for everyone. You all need me. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He said, I've come for the sinners, not for the righteous. He specifically 
singled out a certain group. And he said, I'm coming for them, only them. Now for the righteous. In other words, Zechariah and Elizabeth, ah, they're, they're good. They're good. I'm not worried about them. Okay. They're good. They're both righteous, walking in all the commandments of God. They're doing fine. I'm going to go to the righteous. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to go to the sinners and call them to repentance. Psalm 94 says, I feel like we need a deliverer now in Canada to deliver us from this evil bondage. Like I I said, prayer for sure. That's one of the biggest problems, right? These people, they do not know. they're, They're unbelievers. Although most of those people in authority think that they're believers. And they honestly, really honestly think they're well meaning. They think they're believers, but they're not. Because if they were believers, first of all, they don't even know. They don't even know. If they were believers, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. At least for the most part, right? I'm not talking about everybody, of course, again, but just, uh, you know what I mean? For the most part, there's no fear of God. That's basically what I'm saying. That's what I mean. There's, There's no fear of God. It's like, do you not realize? that the highest authority doesn't end anywhere in Canada? And if the highest authority, if you are against the highest authority, then you could be in big trouble. And so, you know, every criminal, that's the, that's the mistake they make, right? They think that they, that God will never get them, that they are, their uh, evil deeds will, will never be found out. In the same way, every leader of every country that has been proven to be evil thought the same thing, thought the same thing. And you think about it now. You think about it. If we were to get, go in a time machine back to the 1930s in Germany, I think a lot of people would be shocked. I've read that almost all the churches were supportive of what was going on then. They even handed out pamphlets to support that evil regime in church. In church. And the churches that did not support it, the very few and far between that did not support it, were were considered to be the outcat, like the real weirdos, the real extremists or whatever. I mean, they they were considered to be the real out there kind of people. Because they didn't see the full picture. I mean, the people who thought that it was okay because it was legal. It was legal. And I've heard people say, even when it comes to this um, emergency thing that was passed in the House in Canada, they say, you know, especially the, the supporters, the lefties, right? The far lefties, they say, okay, you know, it's this, you know, this is, um, 
democracy and um, you know the the duly elected uh, officials pass this bill. Therefore, anybody who says anything against it is against democracy, and it's it has to be right because it, it was it was uh, voted in in a democratic government. To that, I would say this. The government of Germany in the 1930s, that they were elected in, was not a democratic election. Anyway. Um, yeah. And as I said, these people who think that, you know, well, that's in Canada, that's not where I am. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't be so, I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't be so, uh, I'd be, I'd be concerned no matter where you are Um, because the world is following. World is not, excuse me, the world is not just watching, the world is following. Byron says, um, is it okay to be angry for a short time? Just don't sin while angry, or should we just brush it off as soon as possible? Because to be angry is to be him. Okay, so when Yeshua, when when he taught about anger, um, he talked about, especially in one of those gospels at Luke, uh, where it talks about being angry without a cause. Uh, which is a Jewish concept, by the way. Um, it is a Jewish concept. Sinat Hinam, I think it's called. Sinat Hinam. Uh, anger without a cause. Mm. Yeah, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Let me just pull this up here. Matthew chapter tw- 5, verse 22. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. Yeshua said, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Now, in the footnote here, it says the NU text omits without a cause uh, shall be in danger of the judgment. Okay, so this is a Jewish concept, by the way, to be angry without a cause. Uh, They say, by the way, this is just a little bit of a side note a little bit of a side note but in the jewish world a lot of jews believe that the temple was destroyed to approximately two thousand years ago because of anger without a cause or hatred without a cause um so yeshua again being a jewish rabbi he was he was speaking from these jewish concepts uh let me see Yes, if you go to, I'll, I'll show you guys. Base, um, it, it can also be called baseless hatred. Sinat um, Hinam, excuse me, Sinat Hinam is the Jewish term for it. I am reading from, and I'll show you guys, I'm reading from a website by the name of myjewishlearning.com. Okay, and it says, what is sinat hinam or baseless hatred? 
Uh, let me just blow this up a little bit more here, zoom in a little bit so that you guys can read along with me if you so desire. On Tishbaav, Tishbaav, excuse me, Jews mourn the destruction of the temple. The rabbis of the Talmud blamed the demise of the temples, both the first and second one, and other Jewish tragedies on Sinat Chinam, Hebrew for baseless hatred. Watch the video below. Okay, so that just explains a little bit there. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that's you can look into that a little bit more um, in your own time, but that's basically what, what Yeshua was getting at. Baseless hatred, angry without a cause, that kind of thing. You, you know, so that's what he was talking about. Now, Yeshua himself was angry. How many times he was angry? Uh, I know that a lot of you would think about him clearing the temple. That could be one. Um, but he was angry in John chapter 8 as well. Some of the things that he said to these people uh, certainly wasn't in a pleasant tone at all. Um, so it, it, that's. You know, the main the main point is this. Uh, being angry is not a sin. A sin would be breaking the commandments of God or, or any commandment of God while you're angry. If you are angry and that leads you to break one of the commandments, that's a sin. Being angry in and of itself is not a sin. It could be a good thing. I said it could be a good thing. Um, I mean, getting angry against evil is is a good thing as long as again you you uh, operate in in a in a controlled manner. You don't get out of control, um, and um, you don't break any of the the laws of of God. One Akri, it seems like we get this almost every live stream. Um, hi, I've been getting intrusive blasphemous thoughts about the Holy Spirit when I sin. Have I committed the blasphemy against the Spirit? Okay, so thoughts, thoughts can be other, like a, a spirit speaking to you or influencing your, your, your like thoughts are not necessarily You know, entertaining those thoughts is something else, but just getting a thought, something crosses your mind, that's not necessarily a sin. Again, um, blasphemy by definition means to speak evil of or to slander. It's it's something that you, that you do by with words. Now, I know we've just read not too long ago in Numbers talking about how actions can be blasphemy too. Nevertheless, I mean, actions or Speaking words, both of those things are not thoughts, okay? Yeah, it would start with a thought, but not, um, we don't see explicitly in the scriptures that just having a thought come to you or a fleeting thought, uh, that that is actually blasphemy. It could be, um, it could be a, an evil spirit that puts that in your mind. Francisco says, um, to the tower time, I just like to kind of chime in here as well. I'm assuming that the reason Israel didn't receive Jesus because they weren't sinners till this, till this day, they keep the, the Torah. 
Um, to be as accurate as possible, I, I uh, there would be some that are keeping Torah hundred um, percent. Like for example, babies. Babies don't break the law of God. Um, however, there are a lot of people who are Israel, quote unquote Israel, and they they don't believe in Yeshua. They are very much they believe in the Torah, and they think they think that they are. 100% in line with the Torah. But many of them are not. One one category, one category of sin that that they slip up I find I found one category they miss it many times is the category of Loving your neighbor, or in Leviticus chapter eight, Leviticus chapter nineteen, where it talks about you shall not hold a grudge. The whole concept of forgiveness, of extending grace to somebody else. Many times, not, uh, people who are quote unquote Israel, quote unquote Torah observant, or they believe one hundred percent in the Torah, zero percent in Jesus. But a lot of these people, I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them are, they miss it when it comes to holding a grudge and walking in forgiveness, walking in mercy, loving your neighbor, and loving your enemies like Exodus chapter 23 teaches as well as Leviticus chapter 19. One of the ways they miss that is a lot of these people have a huge grudge against, we mentioned earlier about the The government of Germany back in the 1930s and early 1940s, okay? And a lot of Jewish people blame that on Christians. Now, to a certain extent, they do have a good reason to say that, unfortunately. However, do they really walk in that mercy? Do they really walk in that grace? Do they really walk in that not holding a grudge and loving your neighbor, or are they bitter? Okay. So if, if they really do keep the Torah in all instances, they will fall into the, they, Yeshua would be easy for them to receive. And I'm not talking about the Yeshua of modern Christianity. I'm talking about the Yeshua. I'm not talking about the Jesus of modern Christianity. I'm talking about the Yeshua of the scriptures, the real deal, not the way the church portrays Jesus today, but I'm talking about the real deal. I, I, I liken it to this. Now I got this. I know that because of the uh, green screen, it kind of looks different here, but this is one of these old, this is one of these um, children's play thing. Okay. You got different, um, different, uh, what you call it? Different shapes. You get star, right? Yeah, like a round, round peg. I guess you would call it not a peg, but you got the square. Okay, well that square, it's uh, because it's green, it, you can't see it. But you got this uh, like triangle. Okay, and then you got the lid. Okay, so the star. 
will not fit in the square hole. It just won't. You can't force it. It won't fit. Okay. It's like this. When, when you really walk in the Torah, you will be like, you will be like, let's, let's just say this. If you really walk in the Torah, if you 100% keep the Torah, Yeshua will nicely fit in your life. You, you, you cannot reject him. Just like how the star goes very, very easily in the star. I mean, it's just boom, so easily. Okay. You can't do that with, you can't put the star in the round hole. You can't put the star in the, in the triangle hole. It just won't fit. Okay. That's what it's like. So if, if for some reason you got a person who claims to keep the Torah and they don't receive Yeshua, guess what? They're not, they don't have the right shape. They don't have the right shape. They don't have the right application or interpretation of the Torah. They don't have the right obedience of the Torah. Because if they do, they'll be like this. And Yeshua will fit. It, it just drop, it just fall right in place. Right? So that's the way it works. Zechariah and Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, they were like that, okay? Let's just say this is a, like the Yeshua cutout, the hole, the, the round hole here. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They were both righteous. So when Yeshua came along, easy. No way they can reject Yeshua because the very Torah that they follow is 100% compatible with Yeshua and, back, and vice versa. Yeshua is 100% compatible with the Torah they follow. Therefore, it, it just falls in place effortlessly. And so, anybody who claims to be following the Torah, but don't re, does not receive Yeshua, does not receive Jesus, either one of two things are happening. They don't... And the Jesus that's presented to them is not the real Jesus. It's not the real biblical Jesus. It's maybe it's a, the golden calf Jesus, right? Or the Torah they're following, they're not following it 100% properly, right? They're, they're more like the triangle instead of the star. And that's why they don't, Yeshua doesn't fit. Mark says, Shalom, Shalom, Mark. Good to see you. Welcome. Byron says, I wonder how close someone could get to God, like fasting, praying, and seeking God for 100 plus days or so, only eating to stay healthy and functional. I wonder how much God would move on their behalf when, when they would pray. I think it would be just like the prophets. I think it would be just like how we were reading it with Moses. Um, God would just, uh, it would be like the most wonderful thing. Um, 
God would hear all your prayers and, and, and answer all your prayers. Christina, absolutely 100% correct. Romans 13 could be used to defend those German churches defending evil. Quote, well, God placed them there as ministers, unquote. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So one, Akri says, the problem is that I get them constantly. Okay, so if that's the case, um, there's a couple things. Number one is clean out the environment you're in to the best of your ability. I'm not sure if you have your own place or whether you stay with somebody else. If you stay with somebody else, you might be might be a good idea to find a different place. But what I mean by clean out the environment, I'm talking about um, like if you if you stay in a in a in a home that has a lot of demonic material in it demonic books demonic music demonic movies all that kind of stuff then you need to clean those out right if those things are not yours again i i would not i would not advocate to destroy anybody else's property but rather just to get out uh so if if that's not the case, there might be something in your house that those who are involved in spiritualism or witchcraft would, would know as what they call familiar objects. An object, a familiar object can be any object. It could be a book. It could be, it could be anything. It could be, a, who knows, it could be a mug. It could be anything that maybe you've got second hand someone gave it to you or whatever the case is that would have some kind of a connection bad connection to some bad spiritual bad spirits witches know this very well necromancers know this very well uh the idea that objects can carry this kind of thing um if that's the case perhaps you know what the object is get it out if you don't know you can pray, ask God to show you, or again, just clean. Clean to the best of your ability. Uh, so that's the first thing. Clean the environment around you. Which leads me to the second point, which would be to make sure that what you're watching, what you're hearing, the, the content that you're consuming is very holy and spiritual. You... You read the Bible a lot. Read the Bible a lot. If you listen to any music, make sure you listen to God's music. Music that's in line with the scriptures, it's, it's, it's actually not, not, it's actually hard to find, really, but movies as well, um, games, this kind of thing. If you, if you, change your circumstances around you then your thought your thought processes will also change you won't get as much of that um the problem you're talking about with all these thoughts coming into your head it may take a while it may take days weeks months i don't know but um if you don't start it'll never happen but it will happen uh i had to do that myself as well 
maybe that I didn't have the same kind of thoughts as you have, but the same thing, the same idea, just different thought, just from the old life, all these different things coming back in my mind. And so at first, when I first got born again, when I first became a new creation in Christ, I had to do that. I had to stay away from the old friends. I had to come out from among them. That's why it says in the scriptures, that's why God said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Then I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. Super important as well to, to come out from people that, you know, you may have friends, family members, whatever the case is, that is not necessarily the best influence, not necessarily a really good holy influence in your life to influence you to be thinking holy and to meditate on the scriptures and all this kind of thing. Come out from among them. And be separate. In a, in a situation where you might be living with somebody, it may not be easy to come out from among them. So that in that sense, it may um, you know it might not be a physical withdrawal, but but a withdrawal within your heart, within your mind, so that you don't connect with these people like you used to. So once you do that, you train, you can train your mind to think holy and righteous. You start meditating on the word of God. You think about the scriptures more. You have a daily routine of reading the scriptures. I mean, what we're doing on here is, is great as well. I mean, if you can join us every day, um, if you can, uh, that, that would definitely be a great help to you. And you can think about what we're talking about. All the things that we've talked about here, you can rewatch, you can watch the replays. And so, um, after that, like you do that for a while, you consume like this kind of content and you're going to be thinking more along that, those lines. You're not going to have time to think evil thoughts because you're too busy thinking good thoughts. I have a question here on Podbean here on the podcast. Yeah. Combat. Welcome, by the way, combat says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Can you explain that? Yeah, so it starts, it starts on the inside. You the way you're outward, everything about you starts on the inside. And the way you think, right? The way you think. If you think a certain way, you will behave a certain way. You know, if you have problems with, let's say, for example, you have a you um, you have a very low self esteem, then you're going to be like that. You're it, it as you think in your heart, so are you. You're going to carry yourself in a low with a low self esteem because those thoughts will be realized and manifest in the way you in the way you behave. So. Yeah, it's it's it starts with the with the mind. It starts with the heart. If you notice, it says in the scriptures that the first of the tabernacle, the first article of the tabernacle was the ark of the covenant. And that's like the most that's the inside. That's the that's the heart so to speak of the tabernacle. That was created first, and then everything else was built around that. And so that's the way it is with our life as well in our hearts, in our minds, 
whatever begins, it begins there first. You talk to somebody like, you know, you talk to some great inventor or some, you know, somebody who's, uh, uh, who really is a successful businessman or a successful, um, you know, someone, for example, if you take someone like Elon Musk, right? So a lot, so the Tesla and all the other projects that he's ever in, you know, engaged in, that began in his mind as he thought. So is he? So what is, what is he now? Well, you know, he's CEO of Tesla. You know, he, what is he? He's, uh, you know, he's, it started in his mind. And so that's what it means. As a, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Thank you for your question. Um, Jordan says, Shalom all. Shalom, Jordan. Good to see you. Okay, so I'm going to get to, I am going to start reading from Numbers chapter 20. Um, for those of you who are on YouTube or like if you're listening on DLive or some other platform, and if you have a question specific to me, please just put at Christopher and I will get to that um, because there's a lot of comments here and um I won't be able to get to them all. So I'm just going to look for the comments that have at Christopher to do that as well. Just going to the very, um, let me see, just going to the last comment here. 1 John 2.26 saying, give us a thumbs up. And if you are led to contribute to the channel, go here. Yes, on subscribe star there. There's a link. There's a link also in the YouTube um, video description. Um, thank you very much, 1 John 2.26. Thank you. Okay, so let's start Numbers chapter 20. Lots of stuff to talk about here. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Sin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation. Congregation, So they gathered there against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and, and, and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brothers died before the Lord. <laughs> they always do this, don't they? Like, if we only died in the world, if we only died, if we only didn't come, if we only stayed in Egypt. Okay. Verse 4. Why have you brought us, or why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should, should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So they fell on their faces, they prostrated themselves. Verse 7, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus, you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give, the, give drink to the, congregation, to the congregation and their animals. 
So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and the animals drank. Okay, so notice, God said, God said, speak to the rock, and it will yield water. But Moses, out of anger, he struck the rock twice. Why twice? According to ancient Jewish documents, and the ancient Jewish sages, the reason why he struck the rock twice is because uh, the first time he struck it, only a trickle of water came out. Now, that that idea comes from Psalm 78. Uh, I don't have this um, set up here right now, but let me just see here. Um, Let's see. So the idea is in Psalm 78, in the Hebrew, actually, I can't really see it here too much, but talking about how uh, he brought streams out of the rock cut. Okay, so, and then down further here, he, he struck the rock, so the waters gushed out, the streams overflowed. Yeah, so according to Jewish, the Jewish, um, um, ancient Jewish documents and in the hebrew it, sh- it 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 gives an it gives a picture of uh him striking the rock and and initially there was only a little bit of water so he struck it again so that's the reason why uh he struck it twice and not only that but he he struck the rock out of anger he was angry you know, he said, here now, here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Moses lifted his hand, struck the rock. Now, he wasn't supposed to speak, uh, strike it with the rod. He was supposed to speak to it. Nevertheless, water came out abundantly, and the congregation and, and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me. Believe? What do you mean believe? Keep in mind, again, this word believe is inseparably tied to obedience. In the New Testament, when it talks about believing or faith, it's not talking about just simply belief without obedience. It's it's talking about obedience. So Moses did not believe God. Because you did not believe me. In other words, he didn't obey God. God said, speak to the rock. And he hit the rock instead, twice. Because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, meaning bitter or contention here. This. Is uh, This was the water of Meribah, or contention, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord 
and he was hollowed among them. Okay, let's just take a, a moment here. Why did he hit the rock? Even though God spoke to it. Well, you see, back in Exodus chapter 17, God said to strike the rock. So let's get this straight here. Earlier, God told Moses, strike the rock, and he did, and water came out. Beautiful. All is good. Fine and dandy. There you go. You obeyed God. God's happy. Later, God said, speak to the rock, and water, water will come out. Moses, apparently, maybe out of anger, and also because he thought that God would move the same time as he did in the, in the past. God did a miracle in the past when he struck the, the rock with his, with his rod. Therefore, it's like, okay, um, God told me to speak the rock, but I'm gonna, in the past, he told me to strike it. I'm going to strike it. Boom, boom, struck it twice. And this is, a, this is a mistake that a lot of people make. That God moves the same today as he moved yesterday. God does the same thing today as he did yesterday. And this is what we see in organized religion. Because many of these denominations, many of these pieces of Christianity, these churches, different churches, began with a mighty move of God. Almost like, you know, God spoke to Moses, strike the rock with your, with your rod and, and water flows out. And it did. It was a miracle. It was wonderful. Just like how a lot of these churches began with a wonderful outpouring of the Spirit of God. And, and, and it happened in such a way. It happened in just, the, just a certain way, like Moses striking the rock. And then later on down the road, they think that God wor- moves the same way by the same method. Like Moses. Well, in the past, God said, strike the rock. I didn't. All, all was fine and dandy. Water came out. This time, God said, speak to the rock and the water will come out. But hey, and I'm fed up with these people anyway. Out of anger, bang, bang, strike the rock. And yes, after hitting it twice, it did. Water did come out. However, it cost him the promised land. It cost him everything. So just because God moves in a certain way in the past doesn't mean he's going to move the same way today. So we have to be in tune with with God. We have to be very careful to obey God. Even when in the past it happened differently. For example, this is just this is just a very mild example. For example, in the past, when I sang such and such a song, God God came in mighty power. So I'll do it again. Well, maybe it might not happen again. Maybe God spoke to you to sing a different song. Or maybe not sing a song, maybe do something completely different. Maybe just get everybody to hold hands in prayer. Instead of singing a song. I mean, this is simple examples, but you hear what I mean. We need to be sensitive to what God speaks and not 
we should never put God in a box thinking that he's going to do the same thing in the same way, using the same method, using the same conduit as he did in the past. Because maybe he won't. And maybe doing so would, would really make him angry. Okay, verse 14. This is Numbers 20, verse 14. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Quote, thus says your brother Israel. Very interesting, calls him brother Israel. You know all the hardship that has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. Afflicted did evil too. In the footnotes. Verse 16. When we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice. Now we're talking about, earlier we're talking about, um, we are we were talking about what's going on in Canada, right? This kind of reminds me of that. We cried to the Lord. We, he heard our voice and, in, and sent the angel and brought us out of Egypt. Right? So we need to pray. Cry to the Lord. And he will send his angel. Bring us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand until we have passed through your territory. In other words, just let us let us through. That's all. We're just we're just we're just Going through it. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to touch anything. We're just going to go through. That's all. Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. <laughs> yeah. You're, we're not going to allow you to come through the land, even if you just even if you just walk on by. No way. We're going to come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to, to him, quote, We will go by the highway. Or if I or my livestock drink any of your waters or drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Just let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Unquote. Then he said, you shall not pass through. So it came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. The death of Aaron. Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Mount Hor. And the and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor, border of the land of Edom, saying, "Aaron shall be gathered to his people. So so die and join his join his ancestors here in the footnotes." So whatever whatever it says, be gathered to his people, that's what it means, to die and to, to join his ancestors. For he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. So even Aaron paid for it. 
Take Aaron and Eliezer, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded. And they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. Now, when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. That's a long time to mourn, mourn especially I'm, I'm sure the way they mourned was not just, uh, I'm sure it was a very great mourning. Numbers chapter 21. The Canaanites defeated at Hormah. The king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered them, delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Horma. Horma, in the footnotes, means utter destruction. The bronze serpent, verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul, the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Discouraged, again, in the footnotes, is impatient. Impatient. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Seems like they always did that, right? Speaking against God and Moses. It's, it's like if you speak against Moses, you speak against God and vice versa. Why have you brought us up out of the, out of Egypt to die in this in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. For our soul loathes this worthless bread. Hmm. Detests this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery, fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Notice, you see how God can even use animals. To execute his wrath. Verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. You see, it take, sometimes it takes tragedy for people to wake up. Sometimes it takes, you know, as they say, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt or until someone dies. Sometimes it takes that in order for people to wake up. Unfortunately. So finally, they said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that we that he take away the serpents from us. And they, they understand that God sent it. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. 
So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked bronze serpent, he lived. Now, of course, we can't go too far here without pulling up John, what, what it says in the book of John about this. John chapter 3, verse 14. Now, this is... Uh, okay. As Moses, as Moses lifted, lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the desert... In the same way, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Lifted up means crucified. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Okay, we know that whole thing right there. So we see here that Yeshua likened himself unto a snake when he was crucified. Uh, very, very interesting um, that he would do that. Now, um, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians. I just want to pull it up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, it says, For he made him, he being God, made him, meaning Yeshua, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what does that mean? Well, in, you see, right from the Garden of Eden, we see that a serpent represents the devil or something that's sinful. And so Yeshua, according to John chapter 3, likened himself to that serpent when, he was, when, when he's going to be crucified. As Moses lifted up that serpent, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, and whoever looks shall live, basically, is what he said. So, he likened himself unto a snake, a serpent. He became sin on the cross. So that, you see, that sin represents, the serpent represents sin. And that's why if you have a, if you have a problem with sin, you have uh, you have an addiction, whatever else. One of the most effective ways to overcome that sin is to identify with the cross. And when when you in your own mind and your by your by faith, when when you see when Jesus died on the cross, you say there 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 goes my sin. Sin died. My addiction died. When he rose from the dead, you rose with him in newness of life. Remember, Moses also had a rod, which would, would have been like a wooden stick or branch. And before Pharaoh, he threw that down and it became a snake. He picked it back up again and became a rod. We know several times throughout the scripture that Yeshua is referred to as the branch. Which in, in Hebrew, that the word for branch is very, very closely related to the word for Nazarite or Nazarene. Natsir, okay? Natsir, the branch. So it says in Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, that Moses is like is like God and Aaron's like a prophet. So if Moses is like God and he comes to Pharaoh with the branch, the branch representing Jesus, God 
Moses representing God. So just as Moses took the branch and threw it down and became a snake, so God took Yeshua, threw him down, figuratively speaking, and he became a snake's he became a snake on the cross. And then he picked him back up again in the resurrection, became a branch again. So very, very important to understand that. Moving on, Numbers chapter 21, verse 10. Now the children of Israel moved on, speaking of moving on, and camped in Oboth. And they journeyed from Oboth and camped at Abrim. Abarim in the wilderness. Abarim means the heaps of Abarim in the wilderness, which is east of Moab toward the sunrise. From there, they moved and camped in the valley of Zered. From there, they moved and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends the border of the Amorites for the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore, it is said in the book of the Wars of the Lord, this is one of these books that we don't have, lost book. It is a lost book. Wahib, Wahib in Sufa, Wahib, says here, ancient unknown places. Uh, Vulgate says what he did in the Red Sea. Wahib in Sufa, the brooks of Arnon, and the slope of the brooks that reaches to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. From there they went to Beer, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, all of you Sing to it. The well that the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver, with their stabs. And from the wilderness, they went to Matana. From Matana to Nahalil, and from Nahalil to Bamoth, and from Bamoth to the valley that is in the country of Moab, to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland, the wasteland Yeshimon in Hebrew. King Sihon defeated. Remember, they actually in the Psalms it sings about King Sihon defeated. It is a uh, it's one of those monumental moments. Verse twenty one. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Yahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him by the edge, with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Yabok. 
as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon and in all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, or Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land from his hand as far as the Arnon. Therefore, those who speak in Proverbs, in Proverbs, Proverbs in the footnotes, uh, parables, those who speak in parables say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sihon be repaired. For fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab the lords of the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, Moab, you have perished, O people of Chemosh. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, king of the Amorites, but we have shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as Debon. Then we laid waste as far as Nophah, which reaches to Madiba. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent out or sent to spy out Yazer. Spy, secretly search Yazer, and they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. Here's Og. We read about Sihon, now let's read about Og. Again, this is all of, we read about this also in the book of Psalms when David praises God for what he did here for the children of Israel. Again, this is Numbers 21, verse 23, or verse 33, excuse me. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them. He and all his people to battle at Edrai. Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, or Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people, until there was no survivor left, left him, and they took possession of his land. Numbers chapter 22, Balak sends for Balaam. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders, of Midian, now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was the king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Peth, Peth, uh, Pethor, uh, which is near the river of the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, the people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are setting next to me. 
Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them in. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the, and the elders of Midian departed from the, or departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and Balaam and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came and Balaam. Or they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the king of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not Go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at, at night and said to him, If the men come to you or come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger aroused because he went. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood, took, took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. This word adversary. Uh, I think we should kind of look this up. Numbers 22, 22, because something tells me that word adversary has got a very interesting meaning and a very interesting word in the, in the Hebrew. Let's just have a look. Satan, Satan, for an adversary. So there you go. Satan or Satan. So literally what this says is then then God's anger was aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his hand in the way as Satan against him. 
Very interesting, isn't it? And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw that the angel of the Lord standing in, in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, he pushed herself against the, uh, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place there where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. She lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused. He struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? I wonder how the donkey spoke. I wonder if the donkey spoke with like a donkey accent. I wonder. I wonder. What kind of, what kind of, what kind of uh, dialect would the donkey have? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, abused me, or mocked me, I wish there were a sword in my hand for now, now what I uh, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, "Am I not your donkey on on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you?" And he said, "No." Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he said, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword, with excuse me, with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you. Again, G here is as an adversary, basically like as a Satan. As a Satan. In the in the original Hebrew, that's what it would say. Because your way is perverse before me. So you see, it's like God sends Satan, or at least an angel as Satan, when you are doing things you shouldn't be doing. Your way is contrary. If your way is contrary before God. A lot of Christians, I hear this, I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys heard this kind of stuff too. It's like Christians would complain. Oh, the devil's attacking me. Oh, Satan's attacking me. Oh, the devil is, you know, whatever. Like the devil's abusing me. <laughs> the, the devil's attacking me today. I would say, why? What have you done? What have you done? Why? That honest question. Numbers chapter 22, verse 33. The donkey saw me and turned and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
you're worse than the donkey, Balaam. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. Well, you better say that, Balaam. For I did not know you stood in the way against me. Therefore, now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. I think you better turn back. Notice, notice before I go too far, I don't want to forget too to mention this as well. And we see this, we'll see this also in the life of uh, Elijah as well. In life of uh, Elisha. Uh, that is, lot, a lot of people don't see angels, but they're still there. In this case, the, the, the donkey saw the angel, but Balaam didn't. So angels are, I, I believe you can accurately say that angels are for the most part invisible. You could be experiencing angels. Angels could be around you. And you don't know they're there. Maybe you know they're there, but you don't see them. And so I think that's important as well to understand, to be aware of that. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Verse 35, then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the, go with the men, but only the word that I speak with you, or speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send to call you, uh, send to you to uh, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam, so Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath Huzoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep. And he sent some he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. Verse 41. So it was the next that Balaam took, or that Balak took Balaam and brought him to the high places of Baal or Baal. That from there he might observe the extent of the people. Numbers chapter 23. Then Balaam said to Balak. Build seven altars for me here, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height. And God met Balaam. And he said to him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering. 
he and the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. Now shall I curse whom God, or excuse me, how shall I curse whom, uh, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There a people dwelling alone, not reckoning, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? The dust or the footnote here, or the dust cloud of Jacob. Or number one-fourth of Israel. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you, I took you to curse my enemies and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them, and you shall not see them, and shall not see them all. Curse them for me. From there. So he brought him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. While I meet the Lord, meet in the footnotes or call or go and ask God, as it says in the Septuagint. Verse 16. Then the, Lord's, then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he, has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts up itself like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you, saying, All that the Lord speaks, that I must do? 
Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come, and I will take you to another place. Perhaps if it please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam from, uh, to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Numbers chapter 24. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek the use of source, uh, seek to use sorcery or enchantments, it says here. But he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt, and he he has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. As a lion, who shall rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Excuse me. Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept, me, has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. But the Lord says that I that I must speak. And now, indeed, I am going. I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So he took up his own and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I, I see him, but not, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. 
and destroy the sons of tumult. Batter here in the footnotes, shatter the forehead. And tumult, a Hebrew, Sheth. Okay. Verse 18. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir, also his enemies, shall be a possession. While Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked on Amalek, and he took up his his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked upon the Kenites, and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Ashur carries you away captive? Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when when God does this? But ships shall come from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Ashur and afflict Eber, and, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. Numbers chapter 25. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, Shittim in Hebrew, and the people began to commit harlotry with with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord, out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who who are joined to Baal Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his his brothers a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it. He rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. That must have been quite the thrust. That must have been quite that must have been quite the uh, power that he, he used there. So the plague was stopped. Among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Very interesting. 24,000 people died in the plague before Phinehas, or Pinchas in his, in his Hebrew name, took a javelin and put an end to the wicked immorality that was happening. When that happened, because he, because he put a javelin through those two people committing that sin, the plague, the plague was stopped, and and you know by that time twenty four thousand already died. It could have been you know could have been who knows how much more. Could have been hundred times more than that. But uh, Finna has put an end to it. 
put an end to it. Verse 10, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was jealous or zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. Think about that. A man who thrust a javelin through two people at once. God says, I give to him my covenant of peace. Again, the whole idea is he stopped the sin. He stopped the sin and therefore stopped God's wrath. And it and it shall be to him as it's, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement, atonement for the children of Israel. Very interesting. Very interesting. I say that, I, I say this is very interesting. Let me just say this. Oh, this is so important. I say this because a lot of Jewish people say that According to the Torah, one man cannot die for, for, to make atonement, basically. Here we do. Actually, not one, but two, right? There was a man in that Moabite woman that was doing what they were doing. And Finna has javelin through both of them. And so they died as an atonement for the children of Israel. Now that goes against a lot of what anti-missionaries say. Anti-missionaries being the Jewish people who are completely against the idea of, of completely against Yeshua, basically. Verse 14. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed and uh, who, excuse me, and the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman, woman was Zimri, son of Salu a leader of, the, of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Kospi, uh, the daughter of Zur. He was head of the people of a, of a father's house in Midian. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Kospi, the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Numbers chapter 26. And it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's houses, all who are able to go to war in Israel. So Moses and Aaron, the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the, by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, take a census of the people from 20 years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. The children of Reuben were Hanok, uh, the family of, of the Hanokites, of Palu, uh, Palu, 
the family of the Peluites, of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the family of the Carmites. These are the families of the Reubenites. Those who were numbered of them were 43,730. 43, and the son of Palu was Eliab. The sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram, representatives of the congregation, who contained Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah, when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. The sons of Simeon, according to their families, were of Nemuel, the family of the Nemu Nemuelites, of Yamin, the family of the Yemenites. I wonder, you wonder like if this is like uh, any relation to Yemen of today, Yemen. Of Yakin, of the family of the Yakinites, of Zerah, Zerah, uh, Zohar, of the family of the Zerites, of Shaul, the family of the Shaulites. These are the families of the Simeonites. 22,200. The sons of Gad, according to, the, to their families, were of Zephron, the family of the Zephronites, of Hagai, uh, of the family of the Hagites, of Shuni, the family of the Shunites, of Ozni, the family of the Oznites, of Ari, the family of the Arites, of Orod, the family of the Orites, of Ereli of the family of the Erelites. These are the families of the sons of God, according to those who were numbered of them, 40,500. Of the sons of Judah were Er and Onan. Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Yehuda or Judah, according to the families, their families were Shelah of the family of the Shelanites, Perez of the family of the Perites, of Zerah, of the family of the Zerites, and the sons of Peraz were Hezron, of the family of the Hezronites, Hamul, of the family of the Hamulites. These were the families of Yehuda, according to those who were numbered of them, 76,500. The sons of Issachar, according to the fam their families, were of Tola, the family of the Tolites, of Pua, the family of the Punites, of Yashub, the family of the Yashubites, of Shimron, of the family of Shimonites. These are the families of Issachar, according to those who were numbered of them, 64,300. The sons of Zebulun, according to their families, were of Zared, the family of the Zardites, of Elon, the family of the Elonites, of Yaliel, the family of the Yalilites. These are the families of the Zebulonites, according to those who were numbered of them, 60,500. The sons of Joseph, according to their families, by Manasseh and Ephraim, were the sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the family of the Machirites, of 
and Machir begot Gilead of Gilead of the family of Gileadites. These are the sons of Gilead of Yezer, the family of Yezerites, of Helek, the family of the Helekites, of Azrael, the family of the Azraelites, of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites, of Shemida, the family of the Shemidites, excuse me, let me just try this again. Shemidites, Shemidites, of Hefer, the family of the Heferites, of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters were Zelophehad, were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, Tizra. These were the families of Manasseh. And those who were numbered of them were 52,700. These are the sons of Ephraim, according to their families, Shuthela, the family of the Shuthela, I can't even say that, Shuthalites of Bekir, the family of the Bekirites, Tahan, the family of the Tahanites. These are the sons of Shutha. Shuthala of Aaron, the family of the Aaronites. These are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those who were numbered of them, 32,500. These are the sons of Joseph, according to their families. The sons of Benjamin, according to the, their families, were of Bela, the family of the Baalites, of Ashbel, the family of the Ashbelites, of Ahiram, the family of the Ahiramites, of Shufam, the family of the Shufamites, of Hufam, the family of the Hufamites. The sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman, of Ard, the family of the Ardites, of Naaman, the family of the Naamites. These are the sons of Benjamin or Benjamin, according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were 45,600. These are the sons of Dan, according to their families, of Shuham, the family of the Shuhamites. These are the families of Dan, according to their families. All the families of the Shuhamites, according to those who were numbered of them, were 64,400. The sons of Asher, according to their families, were of Yimna, the family of the Yimnites, Yimnites, of Yesui, the family of the Yeshuites, Jesu, Jesuites, uh, Yeshuites, of Berea, the family of the Bereites, of the sons of Berea, of Haber, the family of the Haberites, of Malkiel, the family of the Malkielites. The, uh, the name of the daughter of Asher was Sarah. These are the families of the sons of Asher, according to those who were numbered of them, 53,400. The sons of Nathalai, according to their families, were Yazel, the family of the Yazelites, of Guni, the family of the Gunites, of Yezer, the family of the Yezrites, of Shilam, the family of the Shilamites. These are the families of Naphtali, according to their families, 
and those who were numbered of them were 45,400. These are those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, to these, the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the numbers, the number of names. To a large tribe, you shall give a large inheritance. To a small tribe, you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who were numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the lot of their inheritance, shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. And these are those who numbered of the Levites according to their families. Of Gershon, the family of the Gershonites. Of Kohath, of the family of the Kohathites. Of Merari, the family of the Merarites. These are the families of the Levites. The family of the Libnites. The, families, the family of the Hebronites. The family of the Malites. The family of the Mushites. The family of the Korathites. And Kohath begot Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. To Aaron were born Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. Now those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above. For, there, for they were not numbered among the other children of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eliezer the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from the Jericho, across from Jericho. But among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron, the priests, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not a, not a man left of them, except Caleb, the son of Yafuni, and Yeshua, the son of Nun. Okay. So tomorrow we will deal with Numbers chapter 27. Okay, let's see what we have here in the comments. Okay. Uh, let's see. For some reason there, 1 John 2.26, I can't get that picture. can't get that picture. I'm not sure what happened with that. I'm trying to get it. I can't get it. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, can't, I can't get to all these comments in the live chat, but if you want, if you want to speak to me, yeah, directly, if you're addressing me, please just put at Christopher, and I will pickle that first. Tyler asked a question, 
is uh, and is watching porn a sin? Yes. Um, you know, Yeshua talked about looking lustfully. Okay, and so yeah, definitely, and it, and it can also be a, an idol as well. You know, uh, it's an idol, definitely an idol. And that is an addiction that can be broken, by the way. God has the power to break that. Christina says, it's beautiful because if you obey that one command to love him with all your heart, you will gladly obey all the other commands. Yes. Very good. One says, I think the uh, one of the contributors to those thoughts are addictions that I'm trying to stop. Yeah, very well, very well. Definitely. Um, that's definitely something that can bring those kind of thoughts because those kind of thoughts can be brought to you by, by an evil spirit that can that is there because of an addiction. Any, like a, a bad addiction uh, is, is an open door for, for uh, evil spirits. Great Deception says, if you believe it will rain, you will get an umbrella. Belief bring, brings action. Very good. Awesome. Byron talks about wandering eyes. Yeah, we also see in the scriptures as well. Um, I'm just going to pull this up. Uh, this is Job chapter 31, verse 1. For your reference, Job chapter 31, verse 1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Making a covenant with your eyes. You know, a lot of people do understand and do know that porn is very destructive. Very destructive. It leaves you empty. And it's very destructive to relationships as well. Byron, speaking about Canada again, says, I wish that nowadays a whole country would do what Nineveh did. That would be amazing to see. Yes, it certainly would. That would absolutely be awesome. And God would definitely heal the land uh, if that was done. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Byron says, do you think that Demons, evil spirits know the Bible very well. I doubt they sat down and read it, but maybe so. Um, yeah, I, I do think they know it very well. I do think they know it very well. The devil commonly uses the scriptures to justify <laughs> a lot of things. And it is, yeah, it's like, I think he does know it. Now, you see too that, it says in the scriptures that Satan is the accuser. Actually, the word Satan also carries that definition of being the accuser. How could he accuse anybody without knowing, without using the law, right? How could he accuse? How, it's like a prosecutor in a court. How could you prosecute anybody without knowing the law? In in the book of Revelation, it says that the devil is accusing the brothers day and night before before the throne of God. 
Like I said, I'm sorry I can't get to all these questions, but or comments. Christina says, okay, let me just get your previous comment. Um, they say, I have a thorn in my side, a messenger of Satan like Paul. Uh, says, Christopher has me checking the Greek. Paul says, Angelos, uh, an angel of Satan tormenting him. Mm -hmm. And again, you got to wonder, like, wh Why? Did he do anything that would that would in you know give that particular evil spirit legal ground? Tower Time says another blessing and fellowship. Y'all stay blessed. You too, brother. Blessings multiplied back to you. Says there's a YouTube video of a drone flying around the split rocket Horeb. Very interesting. When John 2.26 says, uh, but the picture works fine here. I just clicked on it from my post, right-clicked it, and opened it in a new tab. I tried. It did open a new tab, actually, but it didn't. It, it, it opened a new tab, but it didn't open the picture. Um, uh, let me see if I can find it again here. Yeah, new new tab and everything. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'll just I'll think you can just search this later. This is what I get: error one oh ten eleven, access denied. What happened? The owner of this website does not allow hot linking to that resource. Okay. All right, so. Jordan says, work was brutal, but glad I was able to listen. Glad you're you're able to listen as well, Jordan. Sorry to hear that your work was brutal, but Lord bless you, brother. Okay, that'll wrap it up for tonight. I, uh, As always, you guys are awesome. Thanks for your fellowship. Thanks for uh, your questions and everything. So, yes, awesome, awesome, awesome. You guys are world changers. You guys are world changers. So tomorrow we will pick up where we left off. Lord willing, like I said, at one point in time, I do want to kind of backtrack a little bit and get some of the other extra biblical material in there. Um, but um, we'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll just finish the book of Numbers first, then we'll just go back and, and check out some of the other stuff. Okay, guys. So yeah, blessings, blessings, blessings. Tower Time says, hallelujah, amen, 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 brother. Okay, so as always, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Jordan says, don't be sorry, I'm used to it. Okay, Jordan.
1 John 2.26 says, thanks, Christopher, and blessings to you. Blessings multiplied back to you, brother. Same with you, Vinny. Vinny says, thank you, Christopher. God bless everyone. Shalom. God bless you more, brother. As always, it is it's awesome having you. Okay. I'll see you guys tomorrow. As always, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you guys tomorrow.